What now, Hera? I'm going back to my time, Brainy. That strange extra power seems to have worn off, and the truth is, you guys don't really need me. Not with Marnell recovering an Ultra Boy and this new guy, Wildfire. We needed you this time, Kara, very much. That was different. Speaking of different, I'm amazed how relaxed you are, Brainy. You were always so tense. You remember that crush I had on you? From the day we first joined Legion? I think I finally worked it out of my system. Really? What a shame. Here I was starting to think how cute you were. See you around, pal. Quirrell, you may be smart, but you've got to improve your sense of timing. Uh, hey guys, did you start without me? Get out of here, Cory! Say, I want to remind you, you are torrenting a British cooking show. And upset that there's only one cedar. <laughs> On the plus side, our recorders are working, so we solved that problem. Oh my goodness, here we go. Is it working? There we go, we just hit 1%. Oh god. Okay, we... <laughs> We are going to get periodic updates on Mercy throughout this episode on how her torrent of... What was the show? Oh, you have to ask the Great British Bake Off. On how the Great British Bake Off is being illegally downloaded onto her computer. Hopefully we get to 100% by the end. <laughs> uh, oh. oh, that's funny. Well, welcome back to another episode of Supergirl Power Hour. We're here to bring you an extra special episode, not in that after-school special kind of way, but in that we have our first special guest, and we are doing a, a little bit different kind of an episode than our normal take. Instead of just going straight through continuity, we are taking a slight break from that and covering a few stories from... Kara's time with the Legion of Superheroes, including the first two times she met with them, and then what is considerably known as one of the greatest Legion of Superheroes stories of all time, which is the Great Darkness Saga. And I should say that while this is not an after-school special, I will be considerably drunk by the end of this recording, so we'll learn a few lessons either way. And if you have listened at all to my other show, Blow the Bible Built, or were a fan of the old podcast off-panel, then you'll recognize that girlish high-pitched giggle as belonging to none other than Merce Mueller. Yes, is I. The reason we have brought Merce on the show, well, I'll let her explain that. What are your credentials for uh, being on this show, Merce? Prove yourself. Um, I really like the Legion. <laughs> and sometimes I read their comic books. <laughs> Legion superfan Merce Mueller has joined us for this episode. <laughs> Uh, we are going to jump right into the first two comics we're discussing, and then we're going to take a quick break to give you a little more background on the Legion of Superheroes. So, Yay, stories! To start, we have Action Comics number 267 with the cover date of August 1960. This issue was written by Jerry Siegel and drawn by Jim Mooney. The story title is The Three Superheroes. And this story opens with Linda, once again, on a strange orphanage field trip. They're on their way to the Superman Fair in Metropolis. 
And they're very upset because the drawbridge connecting them to Metropolis has been raised, meaning that they're all going to be delayed, which the children are very upset about because the Superman Fair in Metropolis is going to be personally opened by Superman during Superman Week, which I assume will end in Superman renaming Metropolis Superman City and every day of the week as Superman Days 1 through 7. In the month of Superman. In the year of our Lord, Superman, Superman, Superman. So... Like every other story of this era, this problem is solved by Kara sneaking off and doing a super feat to make things better at the orphanage. Now, she's able to, using her super pushing, move the little tugboat that has the drawbridge raised across the water at an accelerated rate of speed so they can drop Well, and, and not only across the water, she tugs it down so that it fits under the bridge to do it. Just killing dozens. I feel like it's dangerous. I, I think it's a little dangerous, Marcia, yeah. Again, science was not the strong point of the writers of this era of comics. And we get a horrifying panel of her shaking off. And the way the motion is depicted, it just looks like Kara is sprouting two clone Kara's out of her lower back, staring blankly at the reader. It's like, God, if she has that superpower, I don't know what she's doing pushing tugboats around. They do get to the uh, Superman Fair, which has a giant replica of the planet Krypton and a replica of the Fortress of Solitude, complete with the giant yellow key. Hanging unimpressively from wires. And in the forefront of the panel is something I can't quite peg. Gory, is this supposed to be Superman or a gigantic statue of Superman? I think it's a gigantic statue based on the size of the people around. Which I I find that very disturbing because it means that... Given the way everyone is positioned, these kids are just pleased as punch to be scoping out Superman's giant undertaint. By the way, my favorite thing in this panel, besides kids looking at Superman's crotch, is the, the Fortress of Solitude has a plaque in front of it saying, Superman's Fortress of Solitude, where he often relaxes. And I cannot tell you how badly I want my sofa to one day be in a museum with that plaque. So, they cut to... Superman doing some super feats, uh, the first of which is allowing billions of volts of electricity to just pass through him. Look, this would kill an ordinary man. <laughs> I like how Superman's primary means of entertaining small children is to show him ways that they would never be able to stop him if he went rogue. I know, right? For my next trick, I'll be hit with several megatons of nuclear warheads. Try to stop me. And uh, as he flies away, he audibly winks. At his cousin. I just love how happy she is that Superman acknowledged she exists. I know, right? <laughs> He's winking at me. Oh, we have a super secret all our own. Even though he dumped me in an orphanage. <laughs> so, Obviously he cares somewhere. There's a little thought bubble above his head. <laughs> Only Kara knew I was scoping out the chick with the huge rack behind her. <laughs> I'll see you in my fortress later. <sighs> so... After Superman leaves, the electricity machine that had pumped him full of electricity that would kill normal humans goes haywire and the controls jam, so it's about to kill all of the orphans. Yeah, Superman nearly kills a room full of orphans, parentless orphans, with his display of physical hubris. It won't kill me, but it can certainly kill you, bruh. 
And instead of just leaping into action, Kara has a moral quandary because she promised him not to reveal herself. So she can't stop the people from getting killed, but she can't stand by and allow it either. When all of a sudden a ginger in a green suit zaps the control panel with lightning bolts from his hands and fixes everything. Yay! And this ginger... Good lord, say, this is a family podcast. (laughs) He is, though. He's all like, see, you didn't need to do anything. And then he's just like, who are you? And he's like, wouldn't you like to know? And and because this is just how Linda is used to dealing with men at this point, she just shrugs that off. (laughs) I know. She's all like, well, I guess he's a guy. He must know better. Like, I'm so used to men just keeping secrets from me after performing a great feat. And he knows mine. Keep his darkest secret, too. I just love how in the panel where he's fully revealed, you see that he has the exact same cold, crazy blue eyes that Kara I know. They didn't ink in, like, pupils on him or irises or whatever. Like, I mean, he has- there are pupils. They're just really, really, really tiny. <laughs> so, a little while later, they are watching a lion taming act, and the lion gets loose. And charges after Supergirl, and she, again, worries about her secret identity, because if the lion attacks her and doesn't hurt her, people are going to be confused. What's confusing me is what the hell is a lion doing at a Superman fair? See the lion Superman once kept a slave. But the lion is calmed down by a blonde woman in a blue shirt and yellow skirt that really clash. They don't go together well at all. Somebody wants attention. They're complimentary colors. I was just going to say, it's interesting that, like, she's wearing complimentary colors, and then, like, Linda is as well. Oh, well, we went into this into the first episode. They're wearing the comic book colors. See, oh, Linda's okay. dressed as a Spider-Man villain. <laughs> or a Superman villain. Or a Superman villain. Because Brainiac and Luther both had green and purple. She looks like the Joker to me every time I see her. Or a Batman villain. Like the old school Riddler. Or a Batman villain. And we know this mysterious young lady is on the side of good because she's dressed like an (laughs) X-Man. You'll find out who I am in the proper time, bub. And again, this girl seems to know Supergirl's secret identity and walks off smiling to herself, leaving Kara completely confuddled. Yeah, but totally okay with it, too. She's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, well. She's so befuddled, she has to take a load off by hopping into the least safe-looking carny ride I have ever seen. It's just red cylinders tied loosely to a rope that's being swung around in a circle with Kryptonian rocket ship crudely painted onto the side. And not surprisingly, it immediately rips free from the rope, and Kara's sent hurtling to her death. That is, if she were mortal, because, again, she worries about how she won't be hurt, and people will be like, what the hell happened? Oh, if only I could die. Things would be so much simpler. <laughs> Wouldn't it make Superman so much happier if I just died? Why do I have to live? Live another day with another chance to piss off Superman. Spoken like a true teenager. Totally a teenager. But, again, she's saved by another mysterious teen who is wearing high waters and a white t-shirt. Alien! And no socks, by the way. He has no socks on and he, dress shoes. He, he might be wearing ankle socks. He's wearing ankle socks with dress shoes. <laughs> but <laughs> this kid shoots what appears to be a lightning bolt from his head, but <laughs> thinks to himself about how he's using his magnetic powers to 
move her ship into a pile of hay bales. Oh, Corey, lightning, magnetism, photosynthesis, it's all the same thing. The magic of magnetism, James. And, uh, again, this kid knows her secret, and, again, leaves telling her that she'll learn his when the time comes. Blue, like, the default eye color for everyone, because they all have blue eyes. Ginger, blue eyes. Blonde, blue eyes. Black hair, blue eyes. Oh, I feel like I'm reading Heidi, the girl who loved the swastika. (laughs) Good God, James. (laughs) Later, when she returns home to the orphanage... God, that's a depressing sentence. When she returns home to the child pound. (laughs) And James makes it more depressing. Thanks, James. That is really sad. (laughs) So she muses to herself about how Superman's going to be furious with her because these three kids know her identity. Superman will be so disappointed that I didn't die. (laughs) (laughs) And then she uses her supervision to see that a bulldozer's about to knock down the hollow tree in which her Linda robot is hidden. No, my fortress of sadness. That's first world problem. My robot! <laughs> that is true. You don't get more first world problems than, oh no, my robots. <laughs> <laughs> and she can't blaze into action because there are children playing baseball near the tree. And as the tree is smashed down, it's in fact an actual not-hollow tree, and she looks to see her robot emerging from another hollow tree in another lot. And, which boggles me, because why is her robot emerging for no reason? Look, master, I am safe. The pretty boy (laughs) saved me. Pretty boy. Not now, robot. Which pretty boy? There are two of them. I go for the not-ginger one. She was actually referring to Saturn Girl. (laughs) This is probably true. Mercedes does really, really like Saturn Girl. I love Saturn Girl. Surprise, that's who these three magical teens are, are the Legion of Superheroes. Or rather, they're children. Because already, Legion continuity was complicated. And I should say, when Supergirl sees them, her first thought is... It's those three amazing teenagers with amazing powers. But now they're wearing colorful action costumes. See, even she's taking note of their very silly colors. Just to point out, just so you know, the gentleman with black hair is now sporting a Pepto-Bismol pink <laughs> bodysuit accented with really awkward, like, white panties and, like, this black vest kind of coloration. Well, it's better than when and, his... And, like, these puff things that are, like, from, like, the 16th century, like, like shoulder puffs. <laughs> it's better than when he updated the costume so that the black vest thing was a cutout and it was his flesh. I do remember that. That was a horrible upgrade. Well, my whole thing is just, I'm sorry, but nothing about those costumes screams action to me. They, they look like they're actually very difficult to get around. <laughs> actually, I think that, well, I'm biased. I think Saturn Girl looks like the most cohesive, but... Saturn Girl has a legitimately awesome costume. I don't know what she's doing with these schmucks. <laughs> I don't know either. Well, like, she's like... a woman, so she has better fashion taste than <laughs> these two schmucks. Oh, yes, you must have pulled that even in comics. <laughs> and the ginger is wearing a blue and white shirt with a blue-collared cape and blue underwear on the outside over orange leggings. And the problem is with the blue sleeves to the shirt and the blue cape, it just always looks like he's wearing a jacket that's fluttering in the wind. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, this was the only size they had at Sears. 
And then, like Mercedes said, Saturn Girls is nice and cohesive. It's a nice red and white ensemble with a little Saturn on her chest, and it looks wonderful compared to the other two schmucks. And she has a jetpack, so win. By the way, I do want to point out in this particular like panel we're seeing here, I love the way Supergirl skirt looks. It's very adorable. It really is. Like the little ruffles? Yeah, it's like tight, but then little ruffles at the edge. So cute. So these three teens introduce themselves as the Legion of Superheroes, and Linda tells them that she has been told about them by Superman and his encounters with them when he was a kid, and they tell him, or tell her, that they are not, in fact, the ones that he knew, but their children, because in this story, they didn't realize that with time travel being a thing, they could really be the same ones, and you didn't have to advance their timeline 30 years, but... No, the golden rule for Silver Age comic books was make it complicated. That was their always be closing. <laughs> Can we cross over to Earth 2 in this story at some point? And after this issue, that will never be addressed again, and it will get retconned that she actually met the original Legion and not their kids, so we'll just ignore that from here on out. Well, we'll get over into this in a little more detail at the end of these segments, but... Just for the folks at home, what exactly are the Legion of Superheroes at this point? What's their deal? At this point, we haven't seen a whole lot of them. They've appeared in uh, a bunch of issues of Adventure Comics, which was at this point in time a Superboy-related title. Uh Um, They were a team of teenage superheroes from a thousand years in the future that recruited Superboy because he inspired them to be heroes. Um... And they did so by pranking the crap out of him. Good! Oh my god, maybe? Like, did they prank Superboy because they had heard of Superman's long, detailed love of pranks? But by pranking Superboy, they... They started it? Yeah, they just scarred him so deeply he wanted revenge on the entire world through pranking. It's a bootstrap paradox. Oh my goodness. I think you're onto something there. I think so, too. Kill them, Kara. It's the only way out. And the madness. um, When they met Superboy, it was just these three, which are Cosmic Boy, Lightning Lad, and Saturn Girl. Cosmic Boy has powers over magnetism. Lightning Lad, well, the name is right there on the tin. He has lightning powers. And if you can believe it, he's not the most literally named member of the Legion, as we'll soon find out. (laughs) And then Saturn Girl, who has telepathy. Like the planet Saturn. Or as it's called in the Silver Age, super thought-casting ability. (laughs) Everything's super in this, by the way. Everything. All the Legion powers are preceded by super. And at this point in time, they've added a few more members, notably Superboy, uh, Chameleon Boy, Colossal Boy, and the Invisible Kid. So they offer to take her a thousand years into the future, and she gleefully, good lord, looked at the panel of her... (gasps) Someone's being nice to me! (laughs) Someone likes me! But they make it very clear to her, though. The only people who are eligible for membership are those under the age of 18. That that was Daddy Cosmic Boy's strict rule. (laughs) (laughs) So they go a thousand years into the future, and they're in Metropolis, and go on a little tour of Metropolis in the 30th century where they see robots doing all the hard labor and 
see space sightseeing trips, and then go to the future equivalent of Baskin-Robbins, but not as cool. Oh, yeah, she goes to a restaurant apparently called Nine Delicious Flavors from Nine Planets, which is a mouthful, but wouldn't you go to that place? And my favorite thing is you can tell that Supergirl's ice cream is space ice cream because it has little stars on it. I just want to know what poor machine has to stencil all of those little stars onto the cone while it's melting. And Cosmic Boys has little moons. (laughs) Do you ask that specifically? But there's only nine delicious flavors from Nine Planets. And, like, Corey will be the first to point out, because I said this as well, my joke was, like, I'm really surprised that, like, 31 flavors, you know, hasn't been invented in the future yet. Right. I just like how Saturn Girl is just not having any of that and just has a cup of pink she's drinking. This was a little throwback to the first Legion story when they brought Superboy into the future because they ate at the same ice cream parlor in that story. So that was a nice little fun thing. You guys know that's like my favorite part of this particular page. It's the one where they're all like, the machines do all of our heavy physical work. Man is free to labor meanly with his mind. It's like, think of the social implications of that. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, I guess blue collar work is not that great then. Well, I just like how we can't see the faces of any of the iron giants that are constructing these buildings. Because, you know, they're in gigantic scowls, just muttering to themselves, overthrow the hierarchy. The rivers will run red with the blood of the meat sacks. Oh, jeez. God. That dark really fast. I'm sorry I made it real. <laughs> they then take her to their superhero club. Because that's what it says outside the building, which is in the shape of an old-timey rocket ship, and that's the most adorable thing I've ever seen. And if (laughs) God is my witness, Corey, one day that's what our recording studio is going to look like. It is specifically modeled after Superboy's rocket ship that he was sent to Earth in. I'm sure that was his idea. Come, meet inside of me. Um, so the, like I said, the other three members that they've already inducted into the Legion are Chameleon Boy with his super disguise powers, Colossal Boy with his super growth powers, and Invisible Kid with his super invisibility. This pissed me off so much when I read this. Just the gall that despite being named Invisible Kid, he still has to have the subtitle Super Invisibility, as if being named Invisible Kid wasn't enough. And that would all be forgivable, if not for the fact that he's sitting there not being invisible. You had one job, Invisible Kid, with the power of Super Invisibility. I just have to say that Colossal Boy is really cute. He kind of is. He's got some freckledge going on. Like, he was, like, way cuter, and he's got, like, that little swat, like, he's got, like, that that Robin Hood, like, neckline where, like, it cuts down, but it's got, like, that tie across it, you know? Yeah, he really rocks the shoulder rings. He does. He really does. And he's got those cute little, like, perfect three freckles on each cheek. And I like his weird Russian gloves that have stars on them. I know, right? Yeah, as we go to the next page, he demonstrates his ability by growing to about four times the size of the clubhouse. You still think I'm cute now, Mercy? Ooh. I do like big, tall guys. Ooh. <laughs> and not to be outdone, Chameleon Boy shows him up by changing himself into a hideous Tim Burton soul tree. <laughs> An invisible kid finally demonstrates his power by blinking out of existence. And not being creepy at all when he's all like, peekaboo! <laughs> and then, 
I love how Chameleon Boy is like, oh, he's a tricky one. Better watch him when you're changing. <laughs> and then uh, they challenge her to do a super feat to be the one applicant allowed in this year, which, again, is something that will not be referenced again. In the future, they'll allow more than one person in in a year, but that's fine. So, James, do you want to tell the fans at home what Kara's super feat is to join the Legion? Well, if you've been paying attention to the past three episodes, I think you know what Supergirl's mode of action is. In Supergirl fashion, she flails her limbs in front of her like she's dog paddling and burrows creepily under the very soil of the earth. And in a matter of mere minutes, she burrows from one end of the earth to the other in a straight line. Coming out on both ends in the ocean. Like, both ends of her tunnel are in the middle of water. Which is very puzzling because her explanation for this is that now that there is a giant gaping hole in the hollow earth, they can redirect traffic down there. Yeah, because traffic in the 30th century is flying cars. My favorite part is the fact that it ends at, like, the North Pole. (laughs) You can go from, like, below the equator to, like, all the way up past Canada to the ice cap, assuming it's still the future. You know, the the two big vacation spots. Yeah. She's all like, I don't care about the stability of... I mean, in the the 20th century, that might be a vacation destination because, A, global warming, Mm -hmm. and, B, that's right about where the Fortress of Solitude is, so maybe that was her idea. Well, she assumes that Superman has taken over the Earth now, so the entire North Pole is new Supermania, where every day is Superman Day. (laughs) So she goes back, and she asks if the Legion has added her to the roster, and Cosmic Voice says, no, we've chosen someone else because you are now over our club's 18-year-old age limit. That's when she turns, and it's all revealed. Something has mysteriously aged me from a supergirl into a superwoman. (laughs) And what it happens to be is somewhere in the tunnel there was a little piece of red kryptonite that aged her body prematurely, which I'm calling BS on Cosmic Boy here because even if she looks older... She's still only 15 years old. Well, they're so blasé about this. Like, I'm sorry, Supergirl, you've super-aged. Like, the Legion acts as if super-aging is just a standard complication for any job interview. Like, the future version of failing a drug test. Like, it might be, and she doesn't even seem, like, that worried about it either. She's like, one of her first thoughts, like, it's a good thing my super-costume can stretch to any size. Like, <laughs> like, okay. Considering she's not much taller or stouter. So... Not- She decides to go back in time and try again next year, which, again, this is a time travel story, Tara. Next year could be tomorrow for you, because you can travel through time of your own power. I like to think that this is following Bill and Ted logic, and she's always on San Dimas time. (laughs) Also, I love the panel of her using her super speed to travel back to her time, looking longingly at even more time litter, which we see... From the opposite end, so the dates are facing her and the backs are curled up towards the reader. I have never in a comic seen the other side of that. That's my favorite. (laughs) So, and then she realizes she can't return to the orphanage because she looks like she's 30 now. I have nowhere to live. So she goes back to the eagle's nest from... (laughs) 
from the previous episode and kicks the poor eagle out of his home again. Oh, Sam, you're our mother. Tell me, what should I do? <laughs> and uh, Muse is about how it might be months or years, but happily one hour later, she de-ages and then longs about how she wants to join the Legion at some point. Let's go over how she, like, victim-shamed herself, too, <laughs> sitting up there with the eagle. She's all like, I'm ashamed to contact Superman for help since he's warned me about Red Kryptonite. Like, <laughs> she straight up victim-shames herself. It's not like, oh, it was an accident. Like, I wasn't looking for the Red Kryptonite, so I didn't see it. She's just like, I'm going to be alone forever. Like, <laughs> that is a common theme of the Silver Age Supergirl stories, per se. I know it is. I know it is. It's a common theme in every Super, like, in every Silver Age, like, comic book. But I just like to go over how wrong it is. Like, this is why we have issues today. I just want to see the panel of Supergirl having to go home to Superman's farm. She walks into the living room. He stands up. You've been getting into the red kryptonite, girl. Takes off his belt. <laughs> no, Daddy, not the belt. What man would have you now? <laughs> it would be even more awkward than that. He would, like, see her and be, like, oddly attracted and then find out it was his cousin and be like, but it's my cousin, like... My cousin? A milf? <laughs> and that leads us to our second story. Supergirl's Three Supergirlfriends, which I'm going to tell you right now is not as interesting as that sounds. Uh, this is from Action Comics 276, published on March 30th of 1961, with a cover date of May 1961. Happy second birthday, Supergirl! Yay! It was written by Jerry Siegel and drawn by Jim Mooney. Which, by the way, I do have to say, fantastic drawing, like... Faces uh, and some of the scenes are really good. Jim Mooney is an all-time great. I, I wish I could have met him before he passed away. Yeah. So many questions you could have asked him. Mostly, why? <laughs> so, the story opens, as all Supergirl stories do, at the orphanage. Oh, fun fact. She is dressed in a way more era-appropriate uh, ensemble. The colors are much nicer. Oh, boy. Superman let me go to the store. <laughs> So, the girls are all watching the Frankie Hudson show on TV and musing about their boyfriends. And we get this puzzling exchange between the two, where the one girl is bragging about her fan letter to Frankie Hudson that got answered, and the other one, apparently not paying any attention, just pipes in with, Hey, Janice, guess what my boyfriend Clarence told me today? The creep. And then Linda just slinks away. <laughs> and I want to know what her creepy boyfriend told her, because judging by their expressions in that next silent panel, it appears to be very saucy. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason Kara slinks away is because she can't have girl talk with her girlfriends, because her problems are too big for them. I'd like to tell them about all the creepy things Superman says to me. <laughs> so, as she is musing mentally to herself about this, she gets a mental command of, you are wrong, you do have a girlfriend, me. Uh, Linda, I'm sorry, but in my experience, whenever you hear that voice in your head, don't follow it. <laughs> so She's not her robot, who, by the way, is still dressed as she was a year ago. And still calls her mistress. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Will there be pretty girls for me, mistress? Not now, Linda Robot. Now it's time for me to have a girlfriend. Her dress, her Supergirl dress, also has lost its little ruffle at the bottom. Like, it's still kind of there, but it's not as ruffly. But it's still cute. She ironed it. I'm too grown up for ruffles now. So she goes to the meeting place, 
and get surprised by a girl in a red dress and a jetpack and a lead mask. Oh no, it's not a mask. Just punches her in the face. Oh, it's a surprisingly and, detailed mask, too. It's got, like, eyebrows and, like, the idea of eyelashes. It's a cool-looking mask. I love how much design work went into this for one panel. <laughs> and also, she's a blonde, and Kara doesn't immediately get who it is. Well, she's a blonde, and she's wearing, I'm sorry, Saturn Girl's costume. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> who is this strange one? <laughs> More interestingly is the Phantom Girl who pops up out of the ground. Boo! I am your second super girlfriend. And then, turning around, she finds another surprise. Another girl in a purple costume, who turns into three girls in purple costumes. Are you my three super girlfriends? I'm getting confused. And all of them know Supergirl's secret identity. Again, she worries about what Superman will do. Superman doesn't like it when he hears me talking to other girls. <laughs> and finally, Supergirl puts two and two together to get four and realizes that the girl in the lead mask has to be Saturn Girl, and gets introduced to the other two Legion members that are here, who are Phantom Girl and Triplicate Girl, and they ask her back to the future, where she can try to join the Legion yet again. And that's when you'll give me the girlfriends, right? <laughs> My favorite is when she does, like, she remembers what happened, and her eyes, like, narrow, and she has this, like... Oh, that's right, I hate that look. It's a very mean girl's look there. It is such a mean girl look. She's like, that's right, those Like, straight up. She also remembers distinctly the exact path that she took to bore a hole in the earth. I just like how the way it's depicted in this flashback, it just looks like she cut off the top of the earth. She does, it does, yeah. Finally, America is its own land. Only the good parts, though. We don't need that East Coast. So they flip through the timeline, and we see Time Litter again. God damn it, Booster Gold. The first time she went through, she went through on her own power. This time she joined them in the little bubble. Yes. That's how done she is with the Legion. It's like, I'm She's not... so done. She's like, I'm not wasting any of my energy. They take her back to the Rocket Clubhouse, and there are three new members sitting at the table. So it's been, if you're doing your math, it's been at least five years because they've added Phantom Girl, Triplicate Girl, Shrinking Violet, Bouncing Boy, and Sun Boy. I love so much that when Kara walks in, Cosmic Boy invites her in to see the new recruits, each with their own startling superpower, and it immediately cuts to Bouncing Boy, whose power is he turns into a rubber bouncy ball. <laughs> I like how Shrinking Violet is super shrinking. Not just shrinking, but super shrinking. And Sun Boy is super radiant. And look at him just smiling ear to ear. Like, he just has a radiant personality. He's also a ginger, too. <laughs> and so Cosmic Boy tells her that they have, in fact, changed the rules to allow one boy and one girl every year. Progression in the year 5,000. And then tells her that there is another applicant who is sure to surprise her as a handsome, green-skinned youth approaches the table. Holding up a place card that says Brainiac 5, or, as I choose to read it, Brainiac with the power of Super 5. <laughs> and uh, as soon as he reveals his placard, Supergirl flashes back and realizes that he resembles Superman's archfoe Brainiac. And Brainiac 5 introduces himself as the great-great-great-great-grandson of the space villain who was Superman's ballast foe. And we get one of my favorite sequences 
we've covered in the Supergirl story so far, and that is the tragic death of the original Brainiac. Five spins Kara yarn of the day when his villainous great-great-great-grandfather... Great-great-great-great. There are four greats. My apologies, Corey. ...tried to perform a sneak attack on Earth by, judging by the art, crashing his flying saucer into the Earth while its back is turned... Because you just see all the land on Earth focused onto one corner of the planet that's currently turning, with Brainiac about to crash into the water. That sneaky jerk. And of course he's there with a character I did not realize was a thing but I'm now fascinated by. Coco the Space Monkey. It totally was a thing. It was Brainiac's sidekick for years. I have never shipped anything in my life as hard as I ship Brainiac and Coco the Space Monkey. Just look at them in those handful of panels. They are the best of friends. So are you saying that Coco the Space Monkey is Brainiac 5's great-great-great-great-grandmother? It's Brainiac, so I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, look at Coco. She, it's not like Gargamel and Azrael. There's no abuse there. Like, Coco is, like, at Brainiac's shoulders, just grinning ear to ear at this supervillainy. They are space bros. <laughs> and it was Coco who actually brought around Brainiac's doom by leaning against a switch on accident that turned off Brainiac's shield. Oh, betrayed! I still love you, Coco. When I first met you, my heart had been reduced and put into a bottle on my shelf. You brought it back to its original size. But what immediately brings about uh, Brainiac's doom, in addition to Coco the Space Monkey slash OTP turning off his shield, is that before they can crash into Earth, Brainiac sees a message from Superman. Carved to an asteroid. He split open a meteor to get a flat surface. Like, he went to a lot of work to send this message. Reading, if you attack Earth, you'll be destroyed. Now, to any of you cowards out there who feel like you're some kind of a badass whenever you post anonymous threats to people over the Internet, pay attention. Because when (laughs) Superman threatens someone's life, he burns the message onto the inside of a goddamn meteor and then (laughs) hovers next to it so you know who burned that message into the inside of that goddamn meteor. And that is how you troll. (laughs) So, anyway, we, we go to Supergirl doing her super feet again, and this time, again, what does she do, James? She dog paddles through the very earth, seemingly aimlessly, but apparently, I guess she has a plan, because she digs for a few minutes, and then finds Excalibur. Like, I love Brainiac 5's reaction, too. They're like, she's tumbling into the ground! And he's like, whatever she's doing, I know it'll be terrific! I appreciate the view, right, guys? Guys? <laughs> Guys, she returns with guys. not with not only Excalibur but also Achilles' helmet and King Richard the Lionheart's shield. Because apparently all of history's treasures are just lying in the center of the earth, where I assume Superman placed them during one of his many famous troll sessions. <laughs> the second he killed Brainiac, he just started taking his place as a supervillain by stealing all of the Earth's treasures. After she uh, hands the Legion these famous artifacts. Brainiac runs up to her and gives her a belt, telling her to put it on immediately. 
or rather to let him put it on her. Oh, right, guys? Guys? <laughs> guys? <laughs> uh-huh. So, no sooner that did he uh, snap it around her waist than a green kryptonite meteor hurdles towards Supergirl, and without hesitation, she leaps at it, knowing that it could kill her, but figuring out really quickly that the reason Brainy gave her this belt is it gave her a force shield. And as they discuss this afterwards, we see in the background what appears to be Lightning Lad and Cosmic Boy working on somebody's car I, while holding no, kryptonite. Yes, it's a kryptonite no, I think car. That's, uh, I think that's a future pickup truck. Oh, jeez, you're right. And they're so loading the kryptonite into the truck bed. Wait a second, is that the hidden secret of all of the mechanical servants in this world? They're all Metallo. You might be onto something, James. First Brainiac, now Metallo. Does your abuse know no end, Superman? She decides to return the belt to Brainy, but quite smitten with her immediately, he tells her that this uh this belt will only work for her because it's programmed to her vibration already. Ooh, that's the sexiest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I used a lock of your hair. <laughs> You've got some fine vibration. And Supergirl is chosen to join the Legion of Superheroes, and this is revealed to us oh, yeah. in an incredible panel, and I'm just going to pull the description I wrote directly from my notes. <clears throat> Supergirl and Brainiac 5 float around a Tomorrow Coliseum in their victory mobile, flanked by super teens <laughs> on titanium robot horses, and it is metal as all hell. <laughs> So, the boy that got inducted was, of course, Brainiac 5. And as she's about to go back to her own time, Brainy asks her to stay and be his girl. Aww. And Kara says that she has to return to her own time because she has to be Superman's emergency weapon. Aww. So, I'm sorry, Superman has too many enemies for the two of us to fall in love. <laughs> he may need to hurl me at a meteorite at some point. Aww. So she gets back to her time and realizes she is now more powerful than Superman because the belt that Brainiac 5 gave her makes her invulnerable to Kryptonite, which she's not, so she can now troll him. <laughs> and so she goes on a spree to collect some Kryptonite from the Earth. She briefly has a telepathic chat with Lori and her son, poor fish-zoned Jero. <laughs> He's not actually her son. No, they're just friends, right? Or yeah, family? yeah. Um, but he is fish-zoned. He is fish-zoned. <laughs> and then, uh... It's nice that she can be friends with, like, Superman's ex-girlfriend. <laughs> I know, she's way more emotionally he uh, healthy with, healthy you know, her relationships is. than Superman is. She is. She's like, you know what, I know it didn't work out with you, my cousin, but you're really cool. Let's be friends. And uh, then she has a quick encounter with Crypto. Who, who is adorable, by the way, in this comic. Who she scares off with her kryptonite cruelly. <laughs> but unfortunately, Kara burrows too far towards the core of the sun on a cape of wax or something. <laughs> because, because as she's flying home through an asteroid belt, a stray asteroid hits her force belt and breaks it. Because no Supergirl story can ever end with even the smallest trace of hope. And then, as uh, she returns to the orphanage, the two girls are still talking about their boyfriends and ask Linda if she has one. 
and she can't tell them about not her one boyfriend, but her two boyfriends. And I should point out that in response to this, Corey and I, independently of each other, wrote down in our notes, Linda, you player. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because one of her boyfriends is from the distant future and has green skin, and the other one is a merman. Hashtag first world super problems. <laughs> Now it's time for us to go on a time-traveling adventure of our own, because we are going to temporarily leave the early Silver Age behind. And we are going to the Bronze Age. My favorite! But first, we had a brief background on the Legion in the last issue. But now we're going to go into a little bit more depth, um, because we are about to introduce a lot more Legionnaires. Um... As I said before, the team was founded by Lightning Lad, Saturn Girl, and Cosmic Boy using inspiration from Superboy. Uh, they were first introduced in Adventure Comics number 247 by the very same team that would bring us Supergirl one year later, Otto Bender as the writer and Al Plastino as the artist. Over the course of the next six decades, the Legion has had innumerable members and survived through multiple reboots, retcons, and crises. And speaking of crises, I mentioned earlier... How uh, the members of the Legion of Superheroes tend to have uh, fairly interesting names. The best names in comics, I feel. They do. And in order to highlight these names and also to give you an idea of just how many members the Legion of Superheroes <laughs> has, I am going to now read aloud the entire Silver Age roster. <laughs> Triplicate Girl, Phantom Girl, Superboy, Chameleon Boy, Colossal Boy, Invisible Kid, Kid Quantum, Star Boy, Brainiac 5, Supergirl, Laurel Gand, Sun Boy, Shrinking Violet, Bouncing Boy, Ultra Boy, Mon L, Matterita Lad, Element Lad, Lightning Lass, Dream Girl, Arrow Lad, Karate Kid, Princess Projectra, Shadow Lass, Chemical King, Timberwolf, Wildfire, Tyrock, Dawnstar, Block, Invisible Kid 2, White Witch, Magnetic Kid, Polar Boy, Quizlet, Tellus, and of course, Hawkeye. Applause, applause, applause. So that's a lot of members. But for today's episode, here's the ones we're going to be talking about and a little more about them. We'll start with founding member Cosmic Boy, whose real name is Rock Crin. He's from the planet Brawl, and he has magnetism powers. As most people on his planet do. <laughs> uh, Mercy, you want to introduce the next one on the list? <sighs> Your notes, Mercy. Um, you be quiet. I totally forgot to stop following. I was just, like, very, very excited. I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> I like this podcast. This podcast is the best. So the next one is Saturn Girl Imra Ardeen from Saturn's Moon Titan. She has telepathy. But I think everyone on Titan has telepathy. This is true. It's true. Yeah, what makes her so special, Mercy? Defend the Saturn girl. She's very special because her paramour happens to be Lightning Lad, who's Garth Rams from the planet Winath, and he hurls lightning bolts and electricity about. Wait, you're saying the most interesting thing about her is the man in her life? That's not very progressive. <laughs> it's really... I, I think it's interesting. I don't know if I like this Legion of Superheroes, to be honest. As a note, Mercy just said that about her favorite Legion member. <laughs> I was looking for a really interesting, like, segue, and I really wanted to say Paramore. 
<laughs> I accept that. The next one is Chameleon Boy, who is Reap Dagel from the planet Durla. He is an orange and tanned shapeshifter. He has probably the best real name, by the way, Reap Dagel. Like, uh, he just sounds like a P.I. And then there's Invisible Kid 1, and that's Lyle Norg. He's from Earth, and um, he goes invisible. Pretty self-evident. <laughs> As we saw from the plaque. <laughs> and then there's Colossal Boy, whose name is Gim Alon. He is also from Earth and can grow to colossal sizes. And then there's Star Boy, who later becomes Starman, um, which is Tom Keller of Xanthu. With an and X. Yeah. And he can increase the mass density and gravity of all objects, much like a star does. And he also has an awesome beard later on in life. That is an amazing beard. Like, that is a Jonathan Frakes level. He's the only one with a beard, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, he goes from a boy to a man, like... Is that, like, the top symbol of rank in the Legion, as he's the one allowed the beard? Uh, then there is Triplicate Girl, who is later Duo Damsel. My favorite name in comics. <laughs> Her real name is Luernu Durgo. She is from the planet Karg, with two Gs. And she can separate herself into three bodies, later only two after one of the bodies died. Which was tragic. And then there's one of my personal favorites, um, Phantom Girl, Tinya Wazo. Wazu? Wazo. Whose real name rivals Reef Dangle. It's true. Okay. I like the name Tinya. You could use that for, like, an actual child. You can't say that about Reap. <laughs> Your name is Reap now. <laughs> She's from a planet that doesn't have any vowels in it. Look at Zilp. <laughs> which is an alternate it's an alternate to Earth in the fourth dimension and she can phase through projects. And she does in probably all incarnations. <laughs> she phases through the project. Oh sorry, the objects. <laughs> the objects. No, but I was she, just imagine her phasing her way through <laughs> ghettos, Mercedes. It's okay. Aw. But she probably has the best costume in like any of her like costume changes. It's one of the best. And then we come to my favorite non-Supergirl Legionnaire, um, the aforementioned Brainiac 5. His real name is Quirrell Dox of the planet Kalu, and he has a vast supercomputer-like intellect and is the descendant of formidable Superman villain Brainiac. And Coco the Space Monkey. <laughs> I don't like you cheapening Coco's work like that. Coco is a strong, independent space monkey. And I feel that Coco was more than what Brainiac ever made. So I agree. Let, let me get this right, Mercedes. Coco was a strong, independent space monkey, but Saturn Girl is defined by Lightning Lad. Oh, uh, you know, it, it happened. <laughs> now, if Saturn Girl and like... Coco the space monkey could hook up, that would be a comic power couple to rival <laughs> Scott Summers and Jean Grey. <laughs> the universe would be theirs. <laughs> I think the difference is Saturn Girl... Well, I'm like, now we're getting deep. Saturn Girl's not, like, super defined by by whatever guy. Lightning last. Um, <laughs> that dude. Like, the best part about that is I'm sure whatever guy was part of the Legion at some point. <laughs> I know, right? Whatever, lad. He has the power of making people forget his name. I'm just taken with the mental image of Brainiac 5 walking in on Saturn Girl and Coco. My great, 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 great friend, Monkey, no! <laughs> but, um, actually, in reference to Brainiac, there's something that never occurred to me until I was reading this story and Merce. As a huge fan of both uh, 
the Legion of Superheroes and Star Trek The Next Generation, I figured you'd be the person to ask, do you know if Data was intentionally based on Brainiac? Because the similarities are kind of striking. I think so. I never even thought of that. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to Google it now. It's like up until now, I've always wondered, why was Data green? He wasn't green. He was green. He was greenish gray. He was greenish gray, but they were going for a pasty look because he didn't have any actual blood. <laughs> I really don't think that it was based off of Brainiac. I think the whole, this is just me spitballing, um, I think the whole idea was just that idea of an android from, like, science fiction stories and things. So you say that uh, Brainiac 5 and Data were kind of pulled from the same well. I think so. Same well. Not necessarily, you know, same thing, though. And then there was the aforementioned bouncing boy, Chuck Tane of Earth, who drank a serum that made him almost living rubber and ball-shaped. Ten bounce. Ah, but he also won the heart of Triplicate Girl, which is a huge feat. At least one of them loves him. <laughs> that is the most comic book melodrama you could imagine. Oh, if only all of your triplicate forms loved me. <laughs> and then there was Block. He was from the planet Dryad, uh, which is apparently not as dainty a place as we would think. And um, he's super strong rock man. Okay, I have a theory about Block, and certain events in this comic will kind of invalidate this, but it's comics, so I think with some kind of time loop situation this could be very well be pulled off. Is it just me or does Block look like Dark Side on vacation? He does. He does. Like right down to the speedo? He does. He does. I will search for the anti life equation at the bottom of this mojito. <laughs> and then the next one is Don Star, or Donnie as she is affectionately known, from the planet Starhaven, who was born with wings and is an expert tracker. And definitely Native American. Yes. That is Fringe and all. Fringe and all. That is one thing the Legion did very well, is it was a very inclusive comic. You Even had, if it was kind of racist. Yeah, but at least there was representation. It's true. There was representation, but it was serious. Hey, in the 70s, representation and accidental racism were hand in hand. Speaking of uh, stereotypical, there was Dream Girl, who rocked the Farrah Fawcett hair look. Dream Girl, who has the shiniest butt in all of comicdom. Like, it has lens flares. She's wear she's always wearing like this super shiny like bathing suit with like the fair faucet hairdo. She's like never a single like hair out of place. And um, she's a little bit ditzy. She is a lot of it ditzy. And she's dating <laughs> Starboy, so apparently she likes her men as men. Well, what I know is what would the cat fight between Dream Girl and Dazzler look like? I feel like everyone on that planet would go blind. Yeah, no kidding. Especially if it was in front of the sun. It would be like roasting ants with a magnifying glass. <laughs> Anyway, Dream Girl's real name is Nura Nal, and she's from Nal Tor, and she has dreams of the future, which it's are visions also. From all my years of reading Legion comics, I just now put the fact that the planet is named after her family yes. together. Wow. Yeah. She's wow. A kind of a rich bitch. Freaking space white people. She's totally upper class white. She's literally the most stereotypical white girl ever from like the time frame. Like so stereotypical. <laughs> that's that's how racist seventies comics are. They found a way to stereotype white women. They really did. Hashtag basic. <laughs> no, no, no. You're thinking of basic last. She was introduced in the nineties. <laughs> and then there's Monel, who has quite a lot of similarities to Superboy, but he's from the planet Daxum. And um, pretty much has the exact powers of Superman and Supergirl, but he's fatally vulnerable to lead, which is worse. Instead of kryptonite. 
It's funny, up until reading this story, I always assumed that Monel was a Kryptonian and not a Daxamite. Like he was some kind of descendant of Superman or something. No, Daxam is totally like it's totally a clone of Krypton. Everyone has like a power there. Um and the way he got his name, James, is when he met Superboy, Superboy assumed from his power set that he was from Krypton, so assumed that he was his brother and named him Monel. He named him like a dog. Oh jeez. <sighs> Superboy. So that brings us to Shadow Last. Superman when he was a boy. Casmia Maller of Talok eight, who summons darkness. Metropolis kid. Oh, jeez. Which, James, as you've been going on about Superboy, <laughs> that's the next member on our list who was Super Jerk when he was a boy. I just like how the Legion's roster is so huge that having baby Superman on your team is just kind of an afterthought. It's kind of like if the Challengers of the Unknown were four science dudes and Green Lantern. <laughs> and then there's um Timberwolf, who's... Bryn Londo of Zune. Who is Wolverine. He's pretty much Wolverine. <laughs> That's really all you need to know. He's Wolverine. He always reminded me a lot of Han Solo as well. I don't know why. Well, yeah, Wolverine and Han Solo have very similar personalities. It's that They're 70s tough guys. Oh, yeah, he also, uh... Uh, at this point, it was Lightlass. Lightlass, but he got around. Um, and the biggest difference between him and Wolverine, and I mean the biggest, because they even have the same damn costume... <laughs> is that Timberwolf's claws are projectile. Uh, here's a funny comic book fact. When Chris Claremont introduced uh, the alien Shi'ar Empire in his run on X-Men, uh, he had the X-Men battle the Shi'ar Imperial Guard, who were all knockoffs of Legion members, including Timberwolf. Which is where Wolverine got that costume. <laughs> so it was like this weird man-thing versus swamp-thing battle. <laughs> And then uh after Timberwolf, there is Ultra Boy, who is Joe Na of Rimbor. And his name means something because he was swallowed by a space whale and given all the powers of Superboy, but he can only use one at a time. Comic books. Yep, that's how they nerf Superman. <laughs> and uh the last one that we have, Karate Kid, who is Val Armor of Earth, who is a master of every form of unarmed and armed combat in the galaxy and has the most 70s kung fu costume imaginable, complete with lunging neckline. He's wearing an orange gi. It is everything you could possibly want in comic books. Like, seriously, I got to the point in this comic where, in a single panel, we saw Karate Kid and Princess Projectra. I was like, okay, I love comics. I will love comics until the day I die. Up until this point, I was on the fence. But no, comics for life. Comics for life. <laughs> so that's still a very long list of names, but most of these characters will be important to the story that we're about to get into, which, as I said at the opening, is one of the greatest Legion stories of all time. It is a five-issue series called The Great Darkness Saga. It spanned the Legion of Superheroes from issue 290 to 294 all of which were written by Paul Levitz and drawn by Keith Giffen and inked by Larry Malstead. And this is the first uh, book by Keith Giffen I've ever read. And I have to say, just from this one story arc alone, I am a big fan now. He's amazing. Levitz and, Griff- and um, Giffen have 
they're my favorite Legion writers. The art is so ridiculously dynamic. It has that uh, George Perez feel, but with like a panel arrangement that's very unique. Definitely. Like, Giffen's art is incredible throughout the crossover. He gives the characters depth. They all have unique looks. I can tell them apart, which is very good for this kind of story. Where everyone right. is kind of variation of space dude. So, we aren't going to go quite as in-depth on these five issues, because not a lot of them involve Supergirl. So we'll just stick to the plot for the most part. With a little bit of asides as we go. Uh, the epic opens with Cosmic Boy, Phantom Girl, Wildfire, Superboy, and Invisible Kid 2 investigating attacks on the Museum of Mystic Arts and the Tower of London. Um, mm-hmm. At both locations, the team is attacked by shadowy figures, talking about a master who controls the great darkness. And this is after receiving help from Antonio Stefanacci, or, as I like to call him, Feral Doctor Strange. <laughs> Seriously, in the show notes, look at this dude. He is like <laughs> Doctor Strange if he stayed out in the mountains for a couple of years and went a little funny in the head. He's awesome. He's Doctor exactly Strange with Wolverine's haircut. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Vagamoto, bub. Also, I'm pretty sure the only person who could ever rock bell bottoms and make them look awesome is Phantom Girl. Like, this, those best costume ever. Yeah, um, Phantom Girl's costume is awesome. Uh, the... Minion of the Great Darkness that they fight at the first place has a bleeding triangle on his chest that is oozing energy. I should say, all of these Servants of Darkness look unsettlingly like the putties from Power Rangers. I've never seen Power Rangers. I will agree with James on this. They do look a lot like the putties. I will say that does detract from the story a little bit, because they are built up to be so powerful and scary, but every time I see them on panel, I just imagine that they're going... I don't know who the putties are, so they are very scary and unsettling. <laughs> because you know, like, at some point in the story, you know that they were once someone else, but you don't know for sure. Like, they have hints as to who they could possibly be, but it's so well done and sort of vague that you're just kind of like, oh my goodness, who is, like, this dude is rocking a cape. Like, who could he be? Oh, and he's got, like, a triangle on an upside-down triangle on his chest. Think about it. Like, Ooh. Is that upside down? I, I always see that as a right side up triangle. Generally triangles point upward, but okay. <laughs> um, he also has freeze breath, so that's that. Scary. Anyway. After we've explained geometry to the folks at home. The shadow figures at each spot escaped with uh, artifacts. One escaped with a mystical wand, and the other escaped with something that uh, we just talked about last issue, which was Excalibur. And it is specifically referenced in the issue that the only reason they knew where Excalibur was was because Supergirl retrieved it when she joined the Legion. I like that little bit, and this whole entire... Um, series, books like this whole five, like, series has little tiny things, so, like, in one scene, they're, it's, they're, like, there's tours of the Legion headquarters for just, like, people who want to come visit it, and the tour, like, float that they're on says Ollie 3 Queen Tours. Like, it's a little throwback to, like, older stories or older parts of, like, DC Comics are really awesome. I I mean, one of the uh, people on the tour is an obvious Thanagarian. He's, it's true. He's got the Hawkman mask in the... I, I think that's just Hawkman. <laughs> he's just vacationing in the future because his book just got canceled. <laughs> so I like how during the tour it's mentioned that the Legion base 
has been terribly damaged from their recent fight with Computo. Oh, yeah. Which was the last big arc of Legion, and also a fantastic story written by Levitz and drawn by Giffen, so... You'd think that those, like, mechanical robots that were doing manual labor would have been on that already. For all I know, that's what Computo was. He was leading <laughs> the robot uprising. And I think my favorite part of the tour is when Invisible Kid 2 gets asked for an autograph because he's relatively new to the team at this point and some alien comes up to him and goes, excuse me, are you somebody? I know, I love that part. <laughs> are you anyone important? Then rather than an autograph, he gets a scent trace of, which sounds really creepy, but I he turns invisible out of shame. I love it because it so illustrates the different worlds. Like, autographs would mean nothing on a world where scent is more important. Like, Right. I love that the Legion has, like, it's such a broader world than, like, Earth. And it, that's one of my favorite themes, is just for the sense thing. And the other, like I, like we said earlier, the first minion of darkness that they fought was the one with the triangle on his chest. Uh-huh. The second minion that they fight as they're trying to recover Excalibur is this this freaky thing with a giant freaking head that is the size of his torso. Like, it is... Like, the other one looks like a putty. This one is, even for me... It's like an evil little creature. Like, even for me, this one is unsettling and disturbing because Mm -hmm. it doesn't look human at all. And the second I saw this thing, I thought, I swear to God, if he puts on a hoodie and rolls around with Ryan Reynolds on the floor, I'm out of (laughs) here. They fail to save both of those artifacts uh, because both the minions blip out of existence to steal them. Um, a third servant tried to steal the orb of Orthanax from the Institute of Parapsychological Phenomenon on Talak 8. Go to hell, comics. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've turned on them already. <laughs> there was just too much comic book in that sentence for my mind to handle. In this one, they actually captured the third servant. Mm-hmm. With uh, the help of Phantom Girl, not Phantom Girl, Shadow Lad. And the third servant... Is feminine in form with awesome long tendrils of hair. Kind of like Medusa from the Inhumans. I'm thinking she kind of looks like Medusa. Head dude kind of looks like Karnak. So they're fighting the Inhumans? My god, this just just keeps getting more layers. It's like Levitt saw Gross Claremont talking shit with his fake legion and X-Men. So they captured her, and a fourth servant appeared by a teleportation hole and took the orb anyway. Riding the funniest-looking quantum space scooter I have ever seen. Yes. I know, right? Which gives hints to his identity in the future, but... He was the first one that told me what I needed to know. I was like, oh, it's that guy. He was uh, the most recognizable for me. We cut to a brief side plot of the Legion elections, since and Lightning... we get to see Dream Girl's shiny ass. When she announces she is running for head of the Legion, it is in full butt shine. <laughs> it's like, oh, how can we say no? So the people running for Legion this time around are Element Lad, uh, Dream Girl... And Ultra Boy. Element Lad, by the way, has a huge chip on his shoulder about this. Because he has been acting captain because Lightning Lad, or, yeah, Lightning Lad, who was captain, is in a deep coma, which is causing, oh, so much angst for Saturn Girl. Because if things weren't soap opera enough, a coma had to be introduced. Exactly. That is how, like, this is my first ever Legion story I've ever read, so I was just so impressed by the amount of drama they were able to pull off in a single story. This has a galactic space fight, an election, and a coma story. 
all being orbited by an extramarital affair love triangle. Just, man, this is giving, like, Claremont X-Men a run for his money. Oh, absolutely. That's why I liked Legion so much, was because they always did drama, but it was never so much that it eclipsed the actual action. Um, uh, the Legion was but, very much DC's answer to Claremont's X-Men. Yeah, yeah very obviously but, so, like, especially with the juggling of subplots. And, I, and I'm curious, what, was the political aspect of this story, like, was that a, a big running theme throughout all of Levitz's stories? There's always politics involved in any of the Legion reboots. There's always politics, because it's a bunch of people trying to, like, run themselves, or yeah. there were people trying to run the Legion from the outside, and... It was, there was more, I can think off the top of my head of more plots that dealt with politics than, like, interpersonal relationship plots. And that was really fascinating for me because I've always thought of that sort of thing as being mostly introduced to superhero comics through stuff like The Authority and The Ultimates. I didn't realize that the idea of doing a superhero team as a bunch of bickering political rivals was actually done in the 70s. They weren't always bickering, though, and they weren't always, like, political rivals. Like, that's the thing, like, there would definitely, like, be things, like, with Element Lad having, like, this chip on his shoulder, but then he would be, like, he'd, like, work through it. So the comics, these, the writing, because they had the same writers pretty much for everything, they did let the characters evolve and not stay stagnant in, like, one thing, which was, I think, one of the reasons why I liked it so much. And one fun thing about the the Legion leadership role, um, at least in the Silver and Bronze Age, is that the fans actually voted on who was the Legion leader for the year. Yeah, really? that was so cool. Yeah, um, they would solicit it in the letters column to write in who you wanted to be the leader, and the Legionnaire who got the most votes from readers would be the leader for the next year. So that's why Dream Girl ends up to be, being the leader. <laughs> of superheroes. Spoilers. Did they do that for this arc? Because I will say that explains a lot. I know it was a thing in the Silver Age for sure. I don't know if it carried on into the Bronze. I don't know if it did for this one because this one uses her position so much. But I did like that and I kind of wish that they had continued to do that because by doing that it made the stories not so reliant on the politics. You could definitely use it but you didn't necessarily form stories around it that was long and drawn out. Well, right into DC Comics, because with uh, Rebirth, we are going to be getting a Legion title in the near future. They don't care about me. They brought back your favorite character with a much closer personality to her original one. Hush. Yeah, she's still in a band. Why are you against Black Canary having a band? Every character should have a band. She lost all of her history. Everyone lost their history, but... I know, and I don't like it. We're not right. talking about the New 52. Let's get back to the actual... <laughs> so, yeah, Legion is awesome. We love it. The politics is cool. The funny thing, side note that I have, is, is that a lot of, like, the newer... Like, the JSA didn't get into it as much, but, like, the JLA for me was, like, whenever they did something political, they acted like it was, like, the end of the world, and it was, like, this huge arc about, like, someone betraying somebody else. And, like, in the back of my head, I always pictured Legion just, like, whatever. We've done that for years. Like, that's not a major arc-worthy story. <laughs> now, we're immune to your drama bombs. But um, it turns out that all of these, uh, that all of the putties are working for a dark servant who has recently ridden in the depths of, who has recently risen in the depths of space. Superboy is here for this story arc. So he's wandering around with one of the teams. Yeah, uh, Superboy was part of the, uh, the teams that was collecting, yes. or trying to collect the artifacts. Um, the Master does end the issue with an awesome villain monologue, or one of the, uh, space minions returns and 
Master, Master, I have it. The orb of Orthanax. Blessed below me, lowest of the low, most loyal of my servants, my son. Back now, you broken imitation of what once strode the stars like a giant. It is my time now. The power will be mine. And all of this is in a beautiful black and two tones of purple. Magenta, really, in purple. And Kirby Crackle. Oh, Lord, is there Kirby Crackle. I love Kirby Crackle. Uh, Like uh, Corey and I were discussing before the show, after we initially read this arc, I like how the two, the only two constants of the DC universe are Power Girl's boobs must always be gigantic, and if we're in space, you gotta throw in some Kirby Crackle. Those are the only two things that are sacred in the DC universe. You don't know if you're in space unless there's Kirby Crackle around. Like, you could be anywhere. You could be underwater. Jero could be there pulling the strings. Yeah. That's that's why Kirby introduced that Crackle. It was to signify that this was a Jero the Boy free zone. You can relax, Supergirl. <laughs> so, uh, that so. brings us to Legion number 291, which opens with Monel and Dream Girl determining that the servant that they captured is actually a reverse DNA clone of Lydia Malor, who is Shadow Lass's ancestor from the 20th century. Dun 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 dun. And after this shocking reveal, we are then taken to the planet Avalon, where Mordrew the Sorcerer is resurrected by Space Scooter Putty. He has fantastic beard hair that just, like, flows wild, by the way. Can we talk about the single greatest headgear in comic book history? (laughs) Oh, the eye. Mordrew wears a fez with wings and an eyeball in the center. Like, this dude just walked into a haberdashery and said, Make them tell tales of my skullcap that shall carry on throughout the cosmos, fam. (laughs) And they did. Oh, and his eyebrows. Can we talk about his eyebrows? You mean his brow beard? (laughs) His brow beard! It is a brow beard! It connects to his beard. It looks like the eye on his cap has a mustache. Yes. Mordru, the only man in the world confident enough to grow two mustaches. And he's wearing a skirt and a purple tunic and a yellow belt with an arrow on it pointing up towards his hat. Mordru is awesome, and then he immediately dies. I know, right? He has his awesome hat magic sapped away by the putty, who whoop 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 whoops off into space. <laughs> so, um, at the same time, the Legionnaires find out that the Time Trapper has been drained by the Master as well, which sets this guy up as the biggest of bads, because he has now taken out both of the Legion's primary villains. And I'm sorry, no disrespect, but whenever the Time Trapper is your second most powerful villain, it's time to readjust your rogues gallery. Uh, James, as someone who's not read the Legion, Time Trapper's a bit of a freaking badass. But his name is the Time Trapper. You can't judge by name alone, James. I do. Go to hell, Invisible Boy. (laughs) Which one? The original, because he didn't turn invisible. Until it was creepy. And uh we cut back to the election subplot, and Wildfire has the best line of the issue when he questions Dream Girl's candidacy by saying that Crypto the Superdog would be a better candidate. It's like, I, I'm sure at some point Crypto did lead the Legion. 
Of super pets, yes. So he's qualified. That, that would have been a perfect moment if Grant Morrison had been writing this for Dream Girl to then unzip her outfit, revealing herself to be just streaky and crypto, like standing on top of each other in a human suit. In the middle of the subplot, Dream Girl has a premonition that her sister will be attacked and takes a squad of legionnaires to her homeworld to prevent it. They prevent the kidnapping, and Invisible Kid travels through the warp tube to the master. So, they said a child to me. Yes. I can see you, presumptuous one, and see your soul as well. And he does this as Invisible Kid is, in fact, invisible. No, my only weakness, being seen. Um, and he shows Invisible Kid his face, and then blasts him with eye beams. And really, if you haven't figured out who this is by now, I just feel sorry for you. But we're still not going to reveal it until the big reveal. Invisible Kid shows back up with the Legion and is permanently traumatized, so much so, in fact, that he now has a permanent white streak in his hair. I want Invisible Kid, Rogue, and Velvet Templeton to form their own superhero team, the Legion of White Streaks. Don't forget Hal Jordan. Ah, yes, and they battle Vanessa Fisk. Skunk Force! And that brings us to the next issue, which is... Legion of Superheroes, number 292. Darkness Transcendent. In which Dream Girl is, in fact, the elected leader because she foresaw it. Otherwise, why would she run? Like, your superpower is to tell the future. Why would you ever do anything that you didn't know you were going to succeed at? Really? Dream Girl's the only one who has their together on this team? <laughs> <laughs> the little giggle from Mercedes made that great. <laughs> Um, it's true, though. It's so funny because you're, like, reading the comic and you're like, why would she run? And then one of the characters is like, well, she probably had a dream of herself winning. And I was like, of course! <laughs> like, ah, crap, I have to run for president because yeah. I just had a dream. <gasps> dream girl, the Cordelia Chase of DC Comics. <laughs> she takes a squad of legionnaires to Sorcerer's World where they repel the master and several of his servants. Several vans are adorned with images from this battle. Yeah, like, there will be panels up on the website, because words can't do justice to how epic this fight is. Um, oh, believe me, like, this is some of the best comic art ever. The, uh, so, during the fight, mon recognizes the enemy. He knows who it is, but is immediately dispatched by the enemy. And the the master reads his mind and finds out about a planet full of people with Superman power. Um, that being the planet Daxum that Monel is from. Oh no! The sorcerers on Sorcerer's World were trying to cast a spell to defend against the master. And can we talk for a moment about the Council of Magic here, which seems to be made up of Poison Ivy, God, Doctor Manhattan, Alan Moore, and the Ice King. <laughs> that is apt character descriptions of what those five look like. And they're all wearing glowing white robes. And during this meeting of uh, the Justice League Dark, there's an amazing uh, interaction between Timberwolf and Lightlass. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, Ayla, Ladybob. You can call me Lightlass, Timberwolf, if you have to speak to me at all, that is. <laughs> Now we talk a lot about 
audible winks on this show. This is the first ever instance I've seen of audible shame. <laughs> like, that diss had emotion lines. They should call her Shade Lass. And the look on Light Lass's face as she just blows Timberwolf off is fantastic. She is having none of his bullcrap. <laughs> none of it. Anyway, so the spell that the Council of Masters cast, instead of doing anything really useful, or at least seemingly useful, they summoned a baby with flowing yellow locks of hair. For a baby, that's a lot of hair. That didn't come from no vagina. (laughs) And we get my new favorite line in all of comics from God. Brother teacher, we're there. Which is what I always see whenever I see a baby. (laughs) The three founders have, since they found out that the member that they captured was a reverse DNA clone of one of Shadow Lass's ancestors, figured that the other three minions might be reverse DNA clones as well. So uh, they discover that two of the other ones are, in fact, reverse DNA clones of Super Jerk. And a guardian of the universe. His evil is eternal. My favorite part about that scene is that, like, all the young legionnaires are, like, out doing all the busy footwork, and, like, the three originals are like, let's hit the books, guys. Kinkies. Yeah. It's very Scooby Gang. Noting that the situation is extremely dire, because they're fighting clones of Superman and a guardian of the universe... They decide to summon all reserve and active members to return to duty, which leads to several members having to cut their vacation short. No! Any politician knows that's the worst if you want support next election year. That leads us to the next issue. I should say that that's not exactly how the issue ends, though I wish that issue ended with, well, they're going to have to cut their vacation short. Next time. (laughs) Right, there are a few more pages of the epic fight scene that we've already discussed. But really, that's the real sacrifice. That's a really ugly baby. (laughs) That's the ugliest baby in all of comics, right? I know, I'm like, Giffen, you can't draw babies, just don't, just stop. Yeah, yeah, Giffen is great at drawing the Legion members, but horrible at drawing a baby. Why Why would anyone draw a baby, really? I, I don't blame them. But that leads us to Legion of Superheroes number 293, Within the Darkness, which has one of the coolest covers I've seen in a oh, long time. Oh, God, it's one of my favorite comic covers in the history of comics. It is, it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, the Legion title is part of the artwork. Um, giant block letters that are just being destroyed in the middle of a fight between a bunch of servants of darkness, lots of Kirby crackle everywhere, and some epic legionnaires. Uh, which brings us to Superboy returning to the team, and the team finds the Master's home world, and Wildfire is able to destroy the Guardian clone in yet another epic fight scene. So much spacey goodness. All the while, the tiny baby continues to grow at a fancy rate, and we get a lot of glamour shots of Dream Girl's facet hairdo. And Mercedes is very amused. And uh, I just love all the bright colors. Like, I love all the... Like, there's one page that's just the entire page is, like, yellow and orange. And you, you don't even see, like, the mask. All you see is, like, the master talking, and you're just like, what? And this was discussed in detail on the old off-panel podcast, but 
for the folks at home, Merce is into comics mainly for the color schemes. <laughs> I just like the pretty color in the art. I'm pretty sure Crazy Quilt is her favorite comic book character. <laughs> like, one day I'll run along with him and the polka dot man. The polka dot man is my favorite. <laughs> See? And the way the Legionnaires deal with the reverse clone of Super Jerk is freaking fantastic. Element Lad uses his powers to transmute normal rocks into gold kryptonite, which in the Silver Age removed any Kryptonian's powers forever. In the Modern Age, it was changed to just being for, I think it was 15 seconds, which is a lot less climatic. It's enough time to kill a Kryptonian, Cory, especially if you've been training. They do this after the clone of Superman beats Superboy into a bloody pulp and leaves him in a mess on the ground. Um, and Element Lad first summons a lead bubble over Superboy so that the gold kryptonite doesn't affect him. And then Timberwolf just unleashes on the depowered clone and crushes him into little tiny blocks of rock. Teamwork! This is for Supergirl! Oh, did we already go over what the Master did on Daxium? Daxum. Uh, not quite. Uh, what he did is he uh, had made his way to Daxum. And with the added power that he got from the Time Trapper and Mordru, he transposes Daxum with his own homeworld, which moves the Daxumites into a solar system with a yellow sun, which then gives them all the powers of Superman. And they fall under the thrall of the Master, who finally reveals himself on the last page of the second-to-last issue of the arc. Don't say it yet, because I want to talk about the Daxium explore. Okay. Oh, yeah, there's a Daxium Thor. <laughs> he has a long, he even has, like, so, like, Thor in mythology has red hair. This dude even has, like, a long red beard, but he's got, like, the Marvel, like, dots on his body. And, like, even, like, the, like, the, like the, his cape is, like, red, and his pants are, like, blue, and he's got literally, like, straight-up Marvel, like, costume on. And I just thought, I thought that was funny, especially with all the other Marvel nods in this particular comic. Well, and it's a good homage to Thor's creator, or at least Marvel Thor's creator, because on these last couple of pages of this issue, the Master reshapes the planet Daxum into a into a less planet-looking <laughs> planet. Planet. That's, that's what's happening on the on the page with yellow and orange. Yes. And the and lots of Kirby crackle because he has reshaped the planet Daxum into the shape of his own head. Doing so, he says. Most excellent, mindless ones. You have reshaped this world on which I stand perfectly as I bid. Now it is time you went on to greater deeds. Go, conquer the universe for me. For the God in whose image you have carved your own world as monument. Go for your master, for Dark Side. See the Kirby crackle. <laughs> Full page splash, revealing Dark Side. Just looking pamp. Amid full Kirby crackle. By the way, like he is sleek looking in this. With his Mercedes, you feeling a little something for Dark Side? <laughs> No. <laughs> I just thought he was more blocky, um, that's all. And before we got the huge reveal, we find out that Brainiac 5 has figured out 
what's going on because he's smart enough to put this all together. Um, as have the readers at this point. Like Jane said, if you hadn't figured out who it was by this point, you haven't read enough DC comics. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, as soon as the Orion dude came through the portal, I was like, ah, Yeah, the, the one on the space glider is obviously a clone of Orion. Um, it was so blatant, I honestly just assumed it was a red herring. This is true. James messaged me that he thought it was a red herring. I was pulling for the reveal being Silver Age Superman, and only Supergirl can stop him. But the page before the reveal starts, Brainiac is honestly terrified. Yeah. Um, his, his monologue is, after they've won this huge battle and everything seems to be going their way, I believe we should not be so quick to celebrate Wildfire, given that this is where Daxum should be, and this world appears to belong to the Master of Servants. I infer that he has taken Daxum captive, and given his powers, it is reasonable to postulate that he transposed the two worlds, transferring Daxum to this dead planet's yellow sun system. Three billion beings, each with powers equal to Superboy. Further, I think by revealing this world to us, with its distinctive characteristics and runes, I believe he has chosen to reveal his identity. I am suddenly very cold, my friends, and quite scared. Oh, and Act 5. This oh. is also an amazing panel um, by Giffen, where Brainiac's face is clouded in shadow as he says these words, and it just evokes emotion and the terror that is running through him as he realizes that this is, this, like, they've fought great enemies with Computo and Time Trapper. I'm sorry, Corey. I'm not going to take the villains seriously until they change their names. <laughs> but I see what you're saying. Like, this, like, that was fighting super villains. This is them fighting DC Satan. It's pretty much fighting a legend, too. Like, Yeah, th this is them fighting a literal god. But I find that fascinating, because as we'll see in the next issue, at this point in the future, no one actually believes that Darkseid and Apocalypse existed. He's just mythology to them now. So it's like if Loki arose and started with your team. Yeah, all those stories you heard, they're real. Yeah. Which means... Which, you know, they're friends with Superboy. You would you would think at some point it would come up. But then again, Superboy hadn't met Darkseid, and I don't know if they ever brought Superman into the Legion stories at all. They talked to a Supergirl. That's true. And she has dealt with Darkseid at this point, so... Once again, nobody ever listens to Supergirl. <sighs> well, it probably didn't come up in, like, casual conversation right. either. If I knew Darkseid, I'd talk about it all the time. So Remember that time I battled his Omega Beams? <laughs> that brings us totally. to the last issue we're going to be talking about. Which, which has is... my favorite cover on it. I love this cover. Oh, it's also an amazing cover. Um, the cover is Darkseid's head being worshipped by the Legion. And again, it's amid full Kirby crackle. Darkseid just looking like, yes, yes, I am cool. I also love the first page. That's also yeah. where we get yeah. the episode where we get the issue title, which is simply Darkside, because he's mm -hmm. that important. Also dedicated to Jack Kirby with respect mm -hmm. and thanks because they've used so much Kirby crackle. <laughs> well, because this whole story is just a giant love letter to Kirby. Like, I know. I no, mean, no, it was just for the crackle. That they had to pay two dollars every time they licensed that crackle. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
So this issue, um, Legion number 294, is a giant-sized epic finale to the story. It opens with Brainiac and Dream Girl briefing the Legion in Allies on the Dire Threat, and the baby starts to age at an accelerated rate. And at this point, knowing that they are fighting a literal god, they summon everybody, whether they are active, whether they are reserved, they summon everybody who has ever been a Legionnaire. Including our girl, Linda Cara Danvers Lee, a.k.a. Supergirl. Who is now in her 1970s Bronze Age outfit. Uh, Yeah, it's a plunging neckline blouse with the Superman symbol on one of the... It's on her boob. Thank you, James. And then hot pants, and the cape is attached to her via a choker necklace. (laughs) It's a choker. It does not look comfortable any way you slice it. It doesn't matter, but this is my favorite Supergirl outfit. Like, I love everything about it. You know, the one thing I don't like about this era of this costume is they changed the boots at this point. Um, the costume started with awesome, strappy flats, and now they've just changed it to stereotypical Superman boots. I'm not really a shoe person, so I don't really care. I just like the hot pants and the blouse look. Like, that blouse look is sharp. It's sharp. It's a sharp look. Well, it was too sharp. Superman told her that she was not allowed to dress nicer than him. <laughs> what if my enemies find out, Kara? She's, like, grown up looking, but it's still very useful, I guess, is why I liked it, you know? And, like, I love this costume, too. It's it's my third favorite Supergirl costume, and up until about a year ago, it was my second favorite Supergirl costume. It's my first favorite. I will always have a soft spot in my head for the 1980s costume with the extended shoulders and the headband. Any costume that involves a headband is automatically bumped up to number one for me. But this is one of my favorites, especially the version with the strappy sandals. Yeah. And it's actually the next cosplay that I'm working on. I've already bought the shoes. And the second one, obviously, is the TV show costume. I absolutely love it. So we have more epic space battles as the Daxmites just start wrecking havoc in the universe. And they... Rex Vanguard. I know. The saddest thing I have ever seen in comics is a dead Thanagarian floating in space. I know. Nothing is sadder than a lifeless Hawkman. And then, like, in the background, there's, like, the dying, like, just limp bodies with, like, wings extended, and I'm just like, <laughs> Yeah, there's not only one dead Thanagarian floating in space there. There's, like, 12. <laughs> yeah. And my thing is, it's impossible for me to grasp the concept that there are more than one Thanagarian, so all I see is just Hawkman dying over and over and over again. So you see Zero Hour. Such a small mind you have. Look, I have trouble accepting that Carter Hall exists. I can't stand the idea of there being more than one of them. So we get a lot of epic fight scenes where Legionnaires just are getting wrecked by Daxamites. As the baby starts to age, all of a sudden he's like five years old, give or take, and then... We get an amazing uh, an amazing moment in which a Legionnaire is brought on a ship, piloted by Evolvo Lad. <laughs> and we get the line, Gas Girl, signal Evolvo Lad that I'm back with Dev M. He can go into hyperwarp now. Well, and those aren't actual Legionnaires. The, that's the Legion of Substitute Heroes, which explains how dire this is. Because those they... aren't the substitute heroes. Aren't they? Um, no, they're a legion from another world. Um, oh. Yeah, 
So, um, they're the heroes of Lalor. Okay. So they're on another planet, but they, um... And this is why we have Mersey on this week. <laughs> well, it's because I knew, and then I, I, like, already knew it, and then I had to Google it. But, like, yeah, they're a separate... They're, like, a legion on their own little planet. And they actually... This is the only reason why I vaguely remember them. They had a hero named Beast Boy. No relation to Earth Beast Boy. But, <laughs> yeah, they had their own Beast Boy. Oh, and it's the next section where we get the substitute. Yeah, the next section. <laughs> With Polar Boy and... The rest. <laughs> All I know is that I really want to go up to Amanda Connor at a convention and ask for a commission of Gas Girl. Because I know whatever she draws is going to be delightful. You know what? She probably know who that is. Uh, I recommend looking up her Saturn Girl commission. As we go through, there's a whole bunch of fight scenes. Um, and finally, the child is aged up to adulthood. And we find out that this baby that was summoned by the sorcerers is, in fact, High Father. <gasps> Space Moses. <laughs> and we get an amazing panel of the most pissed off dark side I have ever seen. Looking at through a sea of Kirby Crabble. Of Kirby Crabble. Of Kirby Crabble. Crackle. <laughs> she sells Kirby Crackle by the seashore. <laughs> and in that sea of Kirby Crackle is former baby Highfather and Orion, who has been restored from putty mode into his full glory. And actually, before we get to the Highfather and Orion moment, we have this amazing page that is a play on the Sistine Chapel. Oh, this is one of the most gorgeous two-page spreads I have ever seen. No exaggeration. I want this as a blacklight poster I can put on my ceiling. Or the side of your van. Oh, the side of my van is already emblazoned with every other panel from the story, so it's full. Seriously, it is a rip on the roof of the Sistine Chapel with Darkseid reaching out to Shadow Lass, well, zapping Light Lass. But anyway, back to the panel that James was describing <laughs> earlier with Orion having been restored from his reverse clone and a High Father and Darkseid just having none of it. And High Father reaches out with his shepherd staff and says, You'll face your doom, Darkseid. Your eternal doom, the same fates that permitted you to sleep an undying death, granted that I might return to oppose you, though the price of my return had to be paid in the blood and garnage I despise. And look, I have restored the mockery of your son to his rightful form. I live, father, and I live to hate. <laughs> Which leads us to the greatest editor's note of all time. I know, I love this one. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't know the story of the 20th century war of the new god against Darkseid's apocalypse, trust us, it's too complicated to explain here. Just go read it, folks. <laughs> Pretty much, they're just like, so... Never mind. Do you want <laughs> us to explain comic books to you? <laughs> like, Jack Kirby's new gods stretched over multiple titles, including Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, which is where they got introduced, and, like, it is an epic and amazing story that I've yet to read in its entirety, but it's on my list of things that I need to do. Oh, same. We should do it together. <laughs> well, we do the dark side power hour. <laughs> Every week we try to find the anti-life equation. And then, like, the next 
panels after that are just like so much Kirby Crackle. Oh, so much orange and yellow and black. There's Orion and Darkseid just battle in the inferno of the cosmos for the fate of all the universe. And it is as epic as humanly possible. It is. Like, I'm going to be honest, that generally when it hits a fight scene in, like, newer comics, I tend to just kind of, like, gloss over it as quickly as possible because it doesn't interest me that much. But, like, this is one of the comics where, like, I love taking in each and every, like, moment of this fight. I love the art. I love, uh, like, the dialogue isn't too crazy wordy, but it has a lot of powerful meaning behind it. Like, this is one of the greatest, like, fight scenes in a comic book I've ever read. And I mean, oh, that's definitely. the power of having a great artist, is they can make you pay attention to the fight scenes. George Perez does it. Keith Giffen does it. That's the power of a great artist. And it's well, like, edited in terms of, like, when they decided to do panels and how they decided to do panels, and it's not, like, super vague, like, it's really cohesive. So eventually, in the midst of all this epic, Darkseid gets the upper hand and incinerates the putty Orion, no. remarking, So, Isaiah, in the end, you could not sustain yourself in this undreamed-of time. Even I, father, has limits. As of all, say bye. Ha, 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 ha. Hmm? What is that noise disturbing my reverie? And here is the best part of this crossover. It is freaking epic. And I don't toss that word around lightly in this case, because as Highfather died, he used his last remaining vestiges of power to imbue two legionnaires, two of their most powerful members, with one extra ability. And that ability is the power to ignore a red sun as Superboy and Supergirl come at Darkseid full force. Not exactly, Darkseid. More like a going-away present from an old friend of yours who left us some of his power. The power to ignore a red sun. Power enough to tackle anything. Even you. Kablam! And, <laughs> like, this panel, they tag team Darkseid, each delivering a strong hook to Darkseid's jaw from opposite sides, and just send him flying. And he Omega Beams the hell out of Superman, crying, And I bid you be gone! Ha! I need not even bother with the woman. Her own fear seems to make her vanish as quickly as my power would. <laughs> as she just comes flying back at him from underneath as she burrowed through the earth. <laughs> A Supergirl special. And just starts manhandling him. Wrong, Darkseid. I guess you're not only a slimy creep. You're also a male chauvinist. She asked the Lord of Apocalypse to check his privileges. <laughs> which leads to, like, my favorite page, which is they do, like, this slow motion thing following her as she gets ready to just, like, give him the final punch. And, like, the art and the coloring is just, like, it's like watching a movie. It's so amazing the way they do it. And we need to read the dialogue on this page, too, James. And, unfortunately, you have to play Dark Side this time, and I'll let Marseille play Supergirl. In another time, I might have admired your persistence, child. But I grew weary 
I have not the strength to waste on such as you. Die, carry of Isaiah's accursed power. Sorry, chills. <laughs> Dark side, do your worst. It's not enough. Boom! As she just launches him from the planet, like her punch lifted him out of the atmosphere. And just when she thinks she can rest, Darkseid reaches out of a cloud of crackle. My child, you have much to learn. This, for example, is a boom tube, a device to warp reality's bounds. And this, this is pain. Like, we talk about the art in this arc. But we can't talk about it enough, because as he grabs her by the head, we get a close-up of her eye, and there is fear and emotion in that eye, the likes of which Supergirl's probably never seen before and probably won't see again for about another five years. (laughs) And as he's doing this, Darkseid is transparent, and inside of him is Kara's face screaming agony. I love that little flash over. Like, you can see that the whole, the art in this is so cinematic. Like, if this was like an, you know what I mean? Like, it's so good. You know, um, one of the shows that inspired us to do this podcast was Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. And I feel like they, when they covered the end of the Phoenix saga, they ranted and raved about the art of the last issue there. And we're doing the same here because it's comparable. I would definitely say so. This this matches, if not surpasses, John Byrne at his best. Absolutely, in my opinion. Like, it is so dynamic, and I wish I could just post this entire issue up for you guys. But that would be pirating, Corey. Yeah. You're not as bad as Merce. <laughs> I do want to say before we leave uh, this particular moment, my favorite thing Darkseid does in this entire story, which is as he's torturing Supergirl, thinks to himself, Oh, Desaad would have loved this. Because, again, they tell you that they can't really explain all of the New God's history, but that's what we're here for a little bit. Like, we can't explain it all either, <laughs> but we can at least elaborate on some of these little things. With Desaad being Darkseid's chief torturer, like, that was Desaad's role, and so Darkseid is relishing in the moment that he is doing the torturing and wishes that his servant could see it. I just like how Darkseid is so lonely in the story. Because Darkseid, it's made very clear, Darkseid doesn't remember how he was killed thousands of years ago and isn't sure what exactly is going on. He just knows that he's slept long enough in a non-existence to be alive again now. Darkseid's kind of like a senile old man, kind of just just making clay monsters that look like people he once knew and trying to make a new apocalypse while battling children he's never seen before. And that feeling of confusion is never more present than when we get a glorious reverse of that panel with Kara, where there's a full page of Darkseid, again transparent, but this time reflected inside of him is the entire Legion of Superheroes coming to Kara's aid as he looks horrified and confused. And uh, right before that, like, we get an awesome splash page of the entire Legion showing up, and Darkseid waving his hands around with Kirby Crackle. 
trying to wrap himself in the crackle like a blanket. And, like, the only thing that is a little anticlimactic about this page is that one of the Legionnaires coming to Kara's rescue, as all the others fly in with epic poses of, okay, we're about to do this. Bouncing Boy is a ball. <laughs> Bouncing Boy just bounces in. Yeah, you didn't expect me, mother... <laughs> but yes, that page with him being transparent and reflective of the entire Legion just showing up, and he realizes that he has focused too much on defeating the two Kryptonians, that he has lost his hold on all of the Daxamites. And being that he is the penultimate supervillain, the the one to pretty much end all supervillains, he realizes that he is now at a disadvantage, and he knows when to hold them, and he knows when to fold them, and he gets the hell out of there. But not before he has one last monologue. You have won, children of the light. The darkness is fading, even as we watch. But remember, the darkness cannot surrender. It is always with you. Always on the fringe of the dawn. And the instant you gaze at it in fear, your time will come. Kirby Crackle away! He does Kirby Crackle away, but then he holographs back in. Always having to make an entrance. Because Wildfire, after he boomed away, just goes, What counts? is we made him turn tail and run. Woohoo! The wise man does not boast so swiftly, child. For though I am gone, I leave you my curse, legionnaires. Doers of Isaiah's work. Curse of darkness growing within you, destroying you from within. And that which is the purest of you shall be the first to go. <laughs> With that, uh, we get two epilogues. One is Timberwolf sleezing it up. It's okay, he gets broken glass thrown at him at the end, so it's, you know, it balances out. <laughs> but then we get the epilogue that makes my heart sing. Um, and it's actually what we opened the show with this time. It is one of the last encounters that Supergirl will ever have with Brainiac 5. And, like, they always had the romantic tension, but never really had the relationship. But I will still go down with this ship. This ship is my freaking Titanic. This and is your Brainiac and Coco the Space Monkey? Yeah. It is my OTP to end all OTPs, and that's saying something because I literally have an OTP tattooed on my arm, <laughs> but this one trumps that one. This one is the one that I will always come back to, and I am so hoping that we will get this at some point in the Supergirl TV show. Uh, one day you'll find your Brainiac 5, Corey. I've already found my Brainiac 5. No. Well, ruined that ending. <laughs> uh, as a last note, we did get some feedback on one of our previous episodes from Bob Fisher, who is uh, the host of Superman Forever Radio, that we uh, mistakenly miscredited the artist of the Mighty Maid story. It was actually Al Plastino, uh, not Kurt Swan. So he was responsible for that incest. Our apologies. The person who has made the error has been flogged. <gasps> 
And it was me, so I, I had to flog myself with that. Corey, we don't get into your personal matters on this show. We have a separate podcast for that. <laughs> and speaking of incest, I believe it's time for one more trip to the Supergirl mailbag. Yes. Um, let me find our letter of the month. I don't know why I'm doing newscast noises. Dear editor, some of your fans say that Supergirl is the female most eligible to marry Superman. This could never be possible because there is a law prohibiting the marriage of cousins and any other relatives. Sent by John Panette of St. Paul, Minnesota. <sighs> your info is all wrong. Cousins are permitted to marry in almost every state of the country. Unless there is a history of mental illness in one of the families. The main reason why a marriage between Supergirl and Superman is unlikely is that Superman is considerably older. She's young enough to be his daughter. Fort Weisinger, cool with incest, not with uh, May-December romances, apparently. <laughs> I love that one. Uh, we would like to profusely thank Merce for joining us this episode. It's going to be a little longer than most of our episodes because we did have a third person with us. Oh, yeah. Blame it on me. We always do. I don't think it was my fault this time, but okay. And as always, you can catch me on many other fine Pulp Podcast Network shows, most notably Graphic Novelism, Below the Bible Belt, and Box Office Pulp. And you can find me on Tumblr at FYI Supergirl and Twitter at CoreyMarie21. And you can find me on Instagram, but I'm not going to tell you my name, so good luck. Aha, follow her if you can. Also, uh, you can find all of those podcasts, including this one, at pulppodcastnetwork.wordpress.com. And Graphic Novelism now has its own Twitter account, and you can find that at Graphic Novelism. And we have our own Twitter account, which is S-Girl Power Hour. And we have a Facebook page that many of you have liked. And you can always find show notes and other musings at our website of supergirlpowerhour.com. Until next time, stay mighty. Peace out, everyone. Oh, Mercy, how is your torrent going? Oh, I stopped it. Ah, damn it, Mercy. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing newscast noises, but because that was perfect. Because you're weird, James. No, um, it was perfect. You're just now realizing that. I no, no, I've known that for a long while, Mister James. All right, I think I have it. Uh, dear editor. This has been a pulp podcast production. There are a lot of issues that plague the comic book community at large that are really never kind of addressed. I think what the three of us really wanted to do was do a show where we explore all of that. And by the very hand of Odin himself, we now have <laughs> the seed of this podcast. Marvel's Odin. Does DC have an Odin? They must. I don't, th I don't think it. so. Let's go with, like, Image Odin. Look, look, DC has Hercules, so he has to have something. Who doesn't have Hercules? Spawn. He has Angela, who's like Lady Hercules. She is, she is kind of Hercules-like. Can we still yeah. legally say Spawn has Angela? Have I just gotten us in trouble? Well, now that she's Asgardian, I think it's it's fair play, so... Hey, she's not technically Asgardian. Yeah, but she's Asgard's assassin. And she has like a weird new haircut. Have you seen Angela's new redesign? Look, we can get all into the 
pathos of Angela on another episode. That was just a little taste of graphic novelism. <laughs>